ask everyone to return to your seats once you bring the kids over. And before I begin, I actually have a commercial. How about that? But my new book just came out last week. I wrote a new book. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a new book about Harriet Tubman from the Underground Railroad. And it's not a biography, but she was a woman of God. And the way that she freed the slaves was that she got dreams and visions from the Lord. And God would show her who, who she should meet, who she should stay away from. God would speak to her and say, don't go this way, go that way. She was a mighty woman of God, and that's why I felt compelled to write the book, that she had a heart of forgiveness after all the abuse she suffered, that till the day she died, her heart was only to do the will of God. So um, the book is available out there in the lobby right after the service. Okay, that's the end of the commercial. So um, I'm continuing in Pastor George's series speaking about the standards of the Lord and going through the book of Romans. The book of Romans was a letter written by Paul to the Jews in Rome. And I, I heard a story about a Jewish guy in Rome, so I figured I'd tell it. It goes along with the, with the message. But there was this Jewish guy living in Rome, Italy, among all the Catholics, and over there, they don't eat meat on Friday. But every Friday, he would be out with his barbecue cooking up steaks, and they smelled the steaks, and they didn't like it. It made them hungry. So they said, we have a plan. We're going to go to this Jewish guy, and we'll convince him to become a Catholic. So they went to him, and they kept talking to him, and one day he, he agreed he would become a Catholic, and they took water and they sprinkled it on him and said, you were born a Jew, you were raised a Jew, and now you're a Catholic. Well, the next Friday came, and there he was out in the yard grilling up his prime ribs of beef again. And they got upset, they went to him. And they said, didn't you know now you're a Catholic? You can't eat meat on Friday. You have to eat fish. So he picked up the steak, threw some water on it, said, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, and now you're a fish. <laughs> True story, um, Pastor Bird, I think. Anyway, I heard about that. <laughs> Pastor Bird, do you know God's favorite planet? It's Saturn because he put a ring on it. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know that. They didn't teach that in the Bible Institute you went to, I guess. Okay, well, I'm going now to Romans chapter 2. Last week, Pastor George. Oh, that was two weeks ago. Pastor George covered Romans chapter 1, where he spoke that, about how those who continually reject God, 
that eventually God will give them over to their sin, or as he said, let go. Now, what, how do you know if God has let go of you? How do you know if that's you? You know that voice you get in your head every time you do something wrong? How many of you, every time you do something you know or say something you know you shouldn't, you get that little voice in your head saying, oh, you, that wasn't right. How many of you ever have that voice in your head? Well, what happens is when you continue in your sin and disobedience, that voice gets lower and lower. Your heart gets harder and harder until one day you don't hear that voice anymore. That's how you know that God's let go of you. That voice you get in your head, that's a precious gift from God. To know I'm heading the wrong path. I'm doing the wrong thing. My life is going the wrong way. You need to nurture and cherish that voice of the Holy Spirit that convicts you. But I've seen people, even in ministry, I've seen pastors that their hearts have become so hardened that that voice has disappeared and they're able to stand up in church and preach on a Sunday and yet live a double life out there. That, that's when God lets go of someone. So I'm going to go now to Romans chapter 2. Don't let that happen to you. If that voice starts getting lower and lower, you need to really seek the presence of God. So Romans chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read from the Message Bible. It says, those people are on a dark spiral downward. What people? The people in chapter 1. The godless sinners. Those who reject God. Those who turn their back on God, it says they're on a downward spiral. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It, take, it takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. What does that mean? Last time, Pastor George talked about those guys out there. You know, all, all those dirty sinners that they hate Christians, they, they want nothing to do with God. Well, chapter 2 now is dealing with the hypocrites in the church. See, God is no respecter of persons. It's not only the people out there who can be far from God. The scripture is saying that you can go to church every Sunday and you better watch your heart. You better watch the things that you say. You don't want to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is, is someone who's one way in the church and another way out of the church. They put on a good show. It's the Greek word for actor. 
you're wearing a mask. And you know, you can get caught in your own disguise. And those are the people who carry religious pride. Those are the finger pointers that Jesus had to deal with. And in that time, they were called the Pharisees. And what Paul is saying is there's plenty of those Pharisee finger pointers in the church and that when you point your finger at someone else, you are condemning yourself. Why? It takes one to know one. You know about someone else's sin. You point it out because you're doing the same thing. That's why Pastor Chuck Smith, he had this quote. It's always surprising and interesting how horrible our sins look when someone else is committing them. What does that mean? I can memorize the whole Bible, cast out evil spirits, heal the sick, raise the dead, but if I'm not walking with God, if I don't have love, if I'm tearing people up with my words, then my religion is worthless. I can't point to those dirty sinners out there. The scripture saying, if that's you, you're no different. It's comparing the, the hypocrites, the, the fault finders. There are some good fault finders in churches everywhere that I go. They could point out everything that you're doing wrong. In fact, it didn't take me long in starting to go to church that I found out that church isn't a very safe place to be open and transparent. When people would come up and ask me how you were doing, they didn't care how I was doing. That was a setup. <laughs> they were saying, how are you doing? Hoping that I would say, well, I'm not doing too well, so they could attack me. You see, it, it, it's like sharks seeing blood in the water. You, you, you get around these hypocritical, judgmental people. And you say anything negative about yourself, they'll tear you into shreds. That's not what church is supposed to be. You see, more than anything else, Pastor George and the leadership here has, has worked hard to make this a safe place. That's the highest value in this church, is that this is a safe place for you to come to. It should be a judgment-free zone, a place where no one's going to tear you up, where you can be authentic, where you can share your heart and be loved, not criticized, not some people taking the Bible and slamming you over the head with it. Well, if you just prayed enough, you wouldn't be in this mess. If you read your word, there's no place for that. And what is it saying? It's comparing those people to drug dealers and prostitutes. That's what the scripture's saying. It's saying these people are no better. They're just as far from God. You can't know the heart of God and be tearing people up. The, the, biggest, the biggest gossips, critics... 
fault finders and finger pointers in church are usually the ones who are furthest from God, but that's not what they think. That's not what they want you to think. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. You see, that's why I try to show mercy to people. You need to be merciful. When somebody's hurting, when somebody's struggling, that's not your opportunity to begin to gossip about that person. Because if you don't show mercy, when you, when you mess up, God will say there's no mercy shown to you. Whatever you give in this life, that's what's coming back to you. If you like to judge people, point fingers at people, when you fail uh, in your weakest day, there are going to be people pointing that finger right back at you. You see, we want to be merciful. We want to be agents of God's restoration. No matter who comes to us, that they fail, they fall, and they messed up. That's not your opportunity to tear into them. It's your opportunity to love them back into the kingdom, to show mercy. You see, he's a God of mercy. It's, there's no one who can stand before God in their own righteousness. In the next chapter, Romans 3.10, it says there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't stand before God in who I am outside of him. Anything good in me, any holiness or righteousness I have, it's because of the the cross. It's because of the death of Jesus. It's because he gave it me. I'm nobody without him. I am absolutely nothing, but with him I can do all things. With God, I can be unstoppable. But without him, I have no right to go and point a finger to tear anyone up. It says no one is righteous. I don't, I don't care if you're the pope. I don't care if you're the bishop. You cannot stand before God in your own righteousness and walk around the church all pumped up. I'm somebody. And have a big picture of yourself. I've seen that. They've all a big giant picture of the preacher right up on the platform. There's no place for pride and self-righteousness in the kingdom of God. Your righteousness, it says in Isaiah, is like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. Why, why, didn't, why, why do they have the rule? I looked it up today after that joke. I looked it up. Why don't Catholics eat fish on Friday? It says because that's a form of penitence. Is that the word, penitent? Or in other words, I'm suffering for my own sin. I can make up for my own sin if I suffer a little. So I did something wrong. Now if I suffer, I'll be made righteous. That's a total lie. 
You can't make yourself righteous. You are totally lost outside of the name of Jesus. You cannot save yourself. You can suffer from here to eternity, and it will gain you nothing. Your suffering doesn't buy you God's favor. There's nothing righteous in us, but we have become the righteousness of Christ. Not because of my, my, what I've done or who I am. It's all about what he's done. I'm going to look at, at a scripture in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. This is talking about these two guys standing in the temple. One was the religious Jew, and the other one was a tax collector. Now, the tax collectors in those days, they were considered the most evil, worthless people on the earth. Because they weren't just collecting taxes, they were taking money and putting it in their own pocket and they could do it legally. They were hated. And also in the temple was this religious, self-righteous Pharisee. So verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Here was this religious guy pointing finger. I thank you, God. I'm glad I'm not like this guy, like those people out there. You see, that's pride. And religious pride is just as bad as any other kind of pride. He put himself above everybody else. That's what these religious hypocrites do, the scripture's saying. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asked, which one of these two people do you think were commended by God? Which one was God pleased with? Was it the self-righteous religious finger pointer? Or was it the sinner who recognized his sin and said, God, have mercy. See, that's me right there. Don't let me fool you, anybody. I don't care if I'm pastor, so-and-so, whatever. Many days, I got to come before God and just say, God, have mercy on me. I, I fail, I mess up. I can't afford to think of myself more highly than I should. Why? Because pride comes before the fall. The scripture says that those who exalt themselves will be humble, 
You try to lift yourself up. You want to walk around like you're better than people. What does God say? He's got a way to take you down a little bit. I, I don't want God to have to take me down a little bit. I want to humble myself. It's important to walk humbly before God, to realize who we are. Jesus himself walked humbly before God. He, everything Jesus did, he used to give glory to the Father. I, I just want to give a testimony about my own mother. You see, my mother... She was the black sheep of the family. She was an alcoholic. She would steal stuff, be invited to parties, weddings, and take the silverware, put it into a purse, start dancing crazy, half-dressed. And, and everyone in my family, they ridiculed her. She was blackballed. She was considered the the garbage of the earth. Eventually, she was never invited to anything anymore. But do you know that just before she died, that she cried out to God, and she said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I believe that she's in heaven today, above and beyond all those finger-pointing hypocrites. All those who, who took pleasure in tearing her up and criticizing her and ostracizing her. I, I believe she's going to be in heaven where a lot of them aren't. Because that's all they could see is their own self-righteousness. Oh, we don't need her. We're better than her. Until one day she recognized her sin and she cried out to God and she became just as righteous in that one second when she gave her heart to the Lord as those who have been pastoring for 40 years. Because again, your righteousness is not of you. Now I'm going to turn the corner a little. You see, because some people will look at the scriptures I just read, and you know what they're going to say? Oh, that's right. Nobody can judge me. God understands. He doesn't even see my sin. God knows I'm only human. God is kind and gracious and overlooks my sin. You see, that's another falsehood. That's the other extreme. It says in verse 4, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And here's a scripture that will better explain it. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives in the present age as we await the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? 
Grace doesn't mean that God doesn't see your sin. It doesn't mean you walk around now with an excuse. Well, I got God loves me, and it doesn't matter what I do anymore because all my sins are forgiven. That's the total opposite. It's, the scripture says that the love of God, the grace of God, is what leads us to repentance. It's, his grace isn't a license, like a driving license. Oh, now you can go out and live however you want. And when someone comes to you, you say, who are you to judge me? Some of you better thank God that somebody loved you enough and came up to you and said, the way you're going, you're destroying your life. There are people through the years, I thank God for those people who came to me in love. If someone doesn't love you, I'd be careful about listening to what they got to say. It might just be an opportunity to tear you up, even though God can use anyone. But when someone you trust, someone who loves you comes and says, you shouldn't be acting that way. That's not in line with God. Don't start making excuses. Don't say, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? You thank God that somebody, he sent someone to put you back on the path. We got a whole generation of people, that's their, that's their code word, that's their slogan. Who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm trying to save your soul. I'm trying to help you before you destroy yourself. Yes, God still loves you when you do wrong things. He won't leave you on your worst day when you sin. When you mess up, the grace of God is greater. He'll hold you. But at the same time, sin will destroy your life, wreck, wreck your marriage, kill your destiny. Life isn't just about, well, God loves me, he accepts me, and I'm all right with God, and that's it. There's more. You have a purpose in this life. God wants to bless you. And you could destroy those blessings with your lifestyle, with your choices. The whole rest of Romans chapter 2 deals with sin and disobedience. Romans 2, 25. God said, my name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. You know what that means? If you drive around and you give people the finger, take the fish off the back of your car. That thing that says, Jesus loves you. If you're going to be cursing people out, mistreating people, don't wear that cross around your neck. People are going to curse God because of you. See, that's the power of sin. God wants us to live holy because he loves us. He's not trying to deny you. He wants the best for you. Now you might be thinking, well, if God is a God of love and grace, why are you talking about sin? 
Well, I just want to do a stop everything right now and do a little teaching. You ready for a little teaching before we close? So I'm going to go to Matthew 19, verse 19. This is going to confuse some people. Matthew 19:19. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone got that? Right? It says, honor your father and your mother. Now I'm going to read Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wait. But what happened with the last scripture that said love? you got to honor your mother and father. Now we got another one that says you got to hate your mother and father. Do I honor my mother and father or do I hate my mother and father? You know what the answer is? Yes. <laughs> I love my mother and father. I honor them. But I love God so much. I'm so passionate about God that my love for my mother and father looks like hate compared to the love that, that I'm going to follow God and I don't care who tells me to do something that's not pleasing to God. Right, I got another one. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. What does that mean? God, he's a mighty warrior. He's out to defeat the enemy. He's always at battle, always at war. Now we're going to read Romans 15:33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. <laughs> Is God a God of war? Is he always out battling and warring and fighting? Or is he a God of peace? He's always at rest. Nothing bothers him. The answer is yes. He's always at war. He's always at work defeating the enemy. But he's also the God of peace, which means I can rest in my situation. And what happens with people is they take hold of one scripture and they lose the balance of the whole of scripture. See, I could take the scripture that God is the God of peace and just walk around caring about my own peace and nothing out there ever disturbs me. I, I can be totally unaffected by people's hurt and pain. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus was always at peace. He always knew who he was. But at the same time, as Scripture said, he was in anguish for the souls, the hurt that he saw around him. And it's the same thing with, with grace and sin. Yes, God is a God of grace. He always loves you. His heart is always for you. There's always new beginnings. There's always forgiveness. But he's also the God of righteousness. I got, if, I, if I just run with the grace message, 
You know what that means? Oh, I can live any old way. I can treat you how I want to. I've seen whole churches torn down because of that. Because, oh, it's okay to, to do whatever because God will forgive you. And then on the other hand, if you just run with the righteousness message, you, you end up with legalism. You feel worthless all the time. That's why there's a balance in the scripture. You've got to get this or you'll never understand the Bible. This is the key to knowing the word of God. I, I can't take one scripture and that's, and that's what I'm going to run with. i got to go with the whole of scripture. Yes, God is merciful and gracious, but he's also a righteous and holy God. And I, and I live to please him. And on one sense, I'm already pleasing to him because I'm his child. And on another sense, he's got a work for me to do. And I want to fulfill every bit of it. I'm not content just floating around in God's love. I, I, I want more. I want to trample down the enemy. I want to see society change. I, I, want, I, want to, I want to see a great revival. You know what that takes? That takes work. Oh, work? God doesn't want us to work. It's all grace. What? No, the Bible says to work. It says work until he comes, but it also says that we are at peace, we're at grace. You see, you've got to take the whole word of God. So what we're going to do now, we're going to have communion. So I'm going to ask those who are serving. And in the meantime, uh, my friend Jessica is going to come up and sing wherever she's at. Oh, here she comes. Jessica is new to the church, but not new to me. I know her like more than 20 years. I guess you were like three years old, right? I was like 10 years old. So if you'll start handing out the elements of the communion as she sings. Praise God. Welcome, dear. To the courts of the King, I am ushered in to your presence. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground, yet with every step tread with reverence. Welcomed in to the courts of the King, I am ushered in to your presence. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground, yet with every step tread with reverence. And I fall face down as your glory shines around. Yes, I fall face down as your glory shines 
in the heavens but you and upon the earth who's your equal you are far above you're the highest of highs we are bowing down to exalt you and i fall face down as your glory shines around yes we fall face down as your glory shines around yes i fall face down as your glory shines around and will fall face down as your glory shines around let your glory shine around let your glory shine around king of glory here be found king of glory oh let your glory shine around let your glory shine around king of glory here be found king of glory and we fall face down as your glory shines around and we fall face down as your glory shines around thank you jesus Amen. As they continue to pass out the communion, there, there was a purpose why I wanted to have communion today with this message. And the purpose is that communion is all about the price that Jesus paid. See, here, let me tell you something about grace. Grace is free. You don't have to pay for it. It's free, but it didn't come cheap. It cost God everything. It cost him his only begotten son as the father looked down and watched his only son being beaten and whipped and hung on a cross and his beard pulled out and he was mocked and ridiculed. There was a heavy price for the freedom that we can enjoy as Christians, for the forgiveness that you walk in. It didn't come cheap. There was a heavy price that had to be paid. 
And God forbid that we should ever take it for granted that the things that we live for, it, was it worth Jesus dying for? The things that, that you live for every day, was it worth it, him hanging on the cross and, pay, and paying the price for you? You see, we want to walk humbly before our God. And, and we need to appreciate the grace we have. We cheapen it when we just say, well, nobody could judge me and I could just live any old way and I'm forgiven and it's none of your business. There, there's no cheap grace like that in the Bible. You know what it's going to cost you, that grace? Your very life. All that you are and all that you have. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. So was everybody served? So I'm going to ask you just to take the wafer or the cracker that you have. That cracker you're holding in your hand, it symbolizes the broken body of Jesus. Do you see the holes in it? You see where it was pierced? It symbolizes where his hands and his feet were pierced with nails. You see the stripes? The stripes, the Bible says that there were stripes. He was beaten and whipped 39 times on his back to pay the price. You see the burn marks. The burn marks symbolize the judgment, the wrath of God against sin poured out on Jesus. And as he hung on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because his own father turned his face away. Because the father can't even look at sin. And he became separated from his father. But he said, It was worth it for you. He gave everything he had to gain your love. He paid the greatest price. Nothing cheap about it. So, Father, we thank you today for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for the stripes on his back. The scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. You can have healing today. Because of the whipping that Jesus took. It's part of the gospel. That's why after church, that's why we have healing ministry in the back. So let's partake of this now. In remembrance of what God has done for us. I'm going to ask you now to take the cup with the grape juice. The grape juice, Jesus said, is symbolic of the blood of the lamb that was slain. So I'm not going to get all into the meaning of the Passover, but basically this symbolizes his blood that was shed. 
out of his love for you, a sacrificial love. His blood flowed from his head, from his hands, from his feet, from his back. And they mocked and they tormented him. They said, if you're God, then you come down from that cross. But yet the scripture says it pleased him. He could have turned back. He could have called thousands and thousands of angels to stop it. But when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. That's why it matters how you live, how you treat people, how you act towards your spouse, your kids, your parents. That's why it matters. I, I want to live a life that's pleasing unto him. After all he's done for me, I'm not just going to sit back and say, well, God loves me, so what? There's more. There's more for you. You have the greatness of God in you. And, and if you just float along saying, don't judge me, you'll never get there. I rest every day in the love of God. I live in his grace. It's not by works. There's nothing I can do to earn God's love. But at the same time, there's a balance. And the balance is, Jesus said, occupy till I come while it's still day. Before the world ends, before he returns, he says, keep on going. Keep on breaking down the enemy. Go into the devil's camp. Go get the souls. There's a work for you to do. Not to earn God's love, but because he loves you. It's because he paid the price. That's why I want to serve him. That's why I'd be willing to lay down my life right now for him. Because of the blood. So Father, we just thank you today for the blood of Jesus. And I just plead this blood over your life. I release mercy and grace over you. See, there's power in the blood. There's healing in the blood. There's deliverance and freedom in the blood of the Lamb. So I just release it over you, over your life, over your family. I plead the blood of Jesus over your finances, over your bank account. And Father, we thank you, Lord God. We worship you today. So let's partake in the name of Jesus. Uh, can we stand and worship him today in a different way? And before you worship, I believe there's some of you here and you're saying, yes, I, I, I know you love me, God. I know there's forgiveness and grace, but, but God, I'm willing to give all for you. I want to live for you. Will you just lift your hand before God if that's you? See, now we can worship. Now we can praise the Lord. Because we've got fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ right here in this house, Pastor Ephraim. So let's worship him. <laughs> 